0: Alright, there we go. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Team here. And this is BXJS Weekly episode 125, bringing you all the best JavaScript news of the week in a podcast form. And uh, yeah, we got another one of those super tiny episodes because for whatever reason, there wasn't that many things this week. I'm honestly not sure why exactly. But, you know, let's just um, get started. As usual, the first section of the week is getting started, and we got just uh, two articles here that are um, actually pretty good. Uh, Hey, AirMac, welcome to the stream. All right, so the first article is Modern React Testing Part 4 Cypress and Cypress Testing Library. I think we already had one of the other parts on the podcast, at least one of them, maybe all of them, because those are really good articles about testing React. So if you are working on React stuff and you wanted to get into testing but you didn't know how, absolutely do check all four of those. Um the fourth one that I am highlighting today is talking specifically about end-to-end testing, Cypress and Cypress testing library that simplifies a bunch of things for you. If you never did any end-to-end testing, this is a really really good starting point. It does an amazing job of explaining basically how to set everything up, how to mock your service worker and so on and so forth. There is a whole ton of information here. Really good getting started guide essentially for Cypress and Cypress testing library. So if that sounds interesting, do check this one out. Uh, Hey, Aaron, welcome to the stream. Hey, Tosun. Welcome to the stream. Have you tried MSW yet? Uh, I think I've heard the name, but wait a second. Oh was it? MSW right, right. I think I've already seen it mentioned somewhere, but I haven't tried it myself. So um hope that answers the question. <laughs> Continuing, we got uh What the Fuck Is Composition? Another write-up from uh Dan Abramov on his uh, what the fuck dot is website. This time around talking about composition. So, you know, there's nothing um super complex here let's put it this way but if you are just getting started with javascript and if you don't know what the composition is or maybe you're struggling to understand all the sides of it let's put it this way then do absolutely read through this it is a lot longer than all the previous things uh, that he posted but it does a very good job of explaining what is composition how does it works and there's a bunch of pretty good examples in javascript including examples in react which is uh, quite nice so there we go Uh, I've got a lot of links if you want me to send them. Uh, Sure, do send them. Please Uh, share them in the Discord in the interesting links channel. That will be amazing. Anyway, continuing, we are coming to the articles and news section. We got four articles here uh, that are, I mean, all of them are pretty good. So the first one is uh, from the WebKit team and it's titled Speculation in JavaScript Core. And it talks about speculative compilation for JavaScript that is um, done in JavaScript core, which is you know, the engine that Safari uses. Um, Now, this one is um, really, really big. Like if you see me scroll through this now, I think it took me about 30 to 40 minutes to read through all of that. But This thing is absolutely fascinating to read. So like if you got 30 minutes of your time, if you are interested in JavaScript engines, if you are interested in speculative compilation, speculative typing, you know, that kind of stuff, very, very low level things that you normally as a JavaScript developer, you don't even think about that, right? Unless you need to optimize your code heavily. And and, you know, there are some like bottlenecks that you absolutely must cover. Now, yeah, it's, it's not an easy read, so be prepared to read through thumb parts for a couple of times and then go Googling for some of the terms that are mentioned here because this thing is highly technical. But again, if you have even slightest interest in JavaScript engines or speculative compilation, absolutely take like an hour of your time and go read through this. It is really, really, really good. Uh, hey, Pego, welcome to the stream. Okay, anyway, continuing, we got introducing Tina CMS inline content editing for React. So it's kind of a tutorial, but not really. So I put it into articles because it sort of expects that you uh, have at least the basic understanding of Next.js and uh, React. Uh, And this actually teaches you how to set up the, um, it's not a plugin, uh, how do you, like a package, I guess, called Tina, to use with next.js to dynamically edit your pages, which um, I, don't, I don't I think I've seen the Tina at some point. But I don't remember why I didn't um, look at it closer, I think maybe because it was purely God's thing at first. But anyway, so the Tina is this package that essentially allows you to add a button to your website where you can click edit. And then literally just you know edit any anything on the website dynamically well in this case it wants me to connect to github because it commits the changes to the git Uh, but the tutorial here teaches you how to configure tina so that you can edit your next.js website right on that website which seems pretty damn powerful to be honest so it's a pretty nice tutorial there's you know uh, again it's not super complex basically uses markdown files as the end destination. So it just writes down to markdown from Tina and then renders that as the Next.js um, pages. So nothing super complex. Uh, this is a sort of sponsored post, I guess, uh, from the snip card, so it's their blog. And in the end, they show you how to add the snip card to the website, but you can safely skip that if you're not interested in uh, e-commerce solutions otherwise it's a really good tutorial tina looks like a pretty nice tool and uh probably we should try it at some point because that looks like a really neat way of uh managing websites so there we go hey my name is run welcome to the stream hello from greece well hello from germany to you <laughs> right uh next thing we got here is records and tuples for react so we talked about records and tuples moving to stage what was it 2 1 i don't remember uh yeah stage 2 already right okay Uh, last week. And uh, this article basically goes in depth on the records and tuples and specifically how adding them to the language will help with react performance and react bugs that are quite typical for when working with immutable data, essentially. Now, you know, there's a bunch of obvious things such as with records, you can actually compare records and if they look similarly, they will always compare as true whereas with the objects that's not not the case right because you compare by reference and that means that in react when you're gonna do the shallow renders it will always render only when the immutable data actually changed which is uh, very damn convenient you no longer have to do any you know random comparisons essentially which is uh, kind of damn cool and uh yeah, there's obviously a bunch of other um pretty nice examples here that show you how the immutable data can simplify working with React. Again, I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that React is built around a lot of like functional programming paradigms that kind of most of the time um how would I put this? It's not that they are forced to work with uh immutable data, but they assume, I guess. So the fun- in a functional programming you typically assume that you're working with mutable immutable data, right? which makes things a lot easier because your functions take in one data and then return completely different things. So, and if you assume it's immutable, things got a lot easier, Uh, but yeah, it's like, if you're curious to see how records and tuples will change working with uh, your approaches to react, I guess, if you have any interest in that, this is a really good write up. Let me have a look at the chat. Have you read the book on TypeScript by Basarat? Uh, I assume it's called TypeScript Deep Dive. No, I have not actually read any books on TypeScript. I'm still trying to find time to finish the ExoFrame rewrite to TypeScript. <laughs> I've started a few, um, I guess it was like already a month ago or something. But uh, yes, I'm, I first want to do that. I don't know if I need to read a book on TypeScript. Like I think the official docs are really good. Uh, so I'm not sure if I need a separate book on that. People are hoping not to use, not to have to use, to use memo hook when using the immutable types. I don't think it's gonna replace the use memo hook, right? Because use memo is a very, like memoization is a very functional programming concept, and there's a lot of cases, even when you have immutable data, when you still need to memoize something to speed things up, right? So it's like it doesn't really, uh, I wouldn't say like okay, obviously it will save you this hook in some cases, but I don't think it's going to be that life changing basically and remove the use memo hook at all. But I do think the records and tuples will have an uh, immense effect on the react apps right and specifically on the performance, because you no longer have to you know, do any expensive comparison um, functions, you can just compare things directly, right. So which is kind of great. But anyway, Continuing, we got uh, last article for today. I created the exact same app in React and Vue. Here are the differences. 2020 edition, now with React hooks and Vue 3 composition API, which is uh, kind of cool because this is still, you know, release candidates, still not out. But um, just as title says, so the author here created two apps, exactly the same apps in React using hooks and in Vue version 3 using the composition API and compares how exactly you do things in Vue and React, how do you approach different issues, how do you mutate the data, and so on and so forth. It's a really nice step-by-step comparison. So if you were interested uh, in, I don't know, if you're writing React and you were interested in seeing the Vue 3 composition API or the other way around, if you're working with Vue and you're curious about React hooks, absolutely do read through this article. You will get a really good idea of how those two compare in most cases. Like there are some, you know, things that are, uh, like, a tiny bit silly, I guess, I would put it this way, but um, other than that, it's a really good comparison. It shows you that, that, uh, like, (laughs) the interesting thing is that React and Vue are no longer as different as they were. Like, yes, Vue has some things that are, like, essentially shortcuts, I would call them, that make it a bit nicer, I guess, to work with some of the things, but, again, on the coast of remembering all of this stuff, right? So in, in React, you would have to handle the enter key press yourself while in view, you can just say V on key up enter. But again, you have to remember that. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty nice comparison. So if you're curious do check this one out, let me have a look at the chats. Uh, TypeScript book is a really good intro effective TypeScript and another one that's really good full of patterns. Uh, maybe I will have a look at them at some point, but man, I mean, ty- <laughs> I have to find time for that. <laughs> Um I wonder if we can follow the pattern that Immer uses to imperatively update the immutable objects still but still not mutate. Uh but Immer like the whole point of Immer API is that it actually presents the mute like the objects as mutable so you work on them as if they were mutable but in the end you get immutable like unchanged thing right so that's I don't think that's possible to do on an engine level that would feel very weird and you need some sort of a distinction between two because with Immer it's the function that you wrap it with and yeah, it's it's kind of I don't how how I'm not how would that work? I don't I don't really see that working to be honest. Um I saw some RXJS code alongs by uh Vladilen Minin. Um uh, might help, help me reason about and write and understand code. What's your opinion on it? RxJS is a great little tool I already said about that. So like RxJS is an amazing tool when you have to work with uh, data over time. But everything else, like most of the time when people use RxJS is just an overkill. <laughs> Let's be honest here. It has some like legit use cases when it, is, it makes things 100 times easier. But if you're trying to use it everywhere, it's just a pain in ass basically. Um, think of updating nested objects in an immutable way where you have to spread the parent object uh, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but that, that's just a matter of tooling, right? So like, if you look at the functional programming languages that have immutability by default, like say closure or whatever, you usually have the tools that allow you to update like a property, like to basically clone an object while updating just one property, right? So it's just a matter of utility functions uh i don't think the record and tuples proposal actually have any of them but i'm guessing that we're gonna see something like lodash for uh immutable programming right yeah lenses is a great example yeah so we're probably gonna get some library for that uh, i just maybe we, it's gonna end up being the part of std uh like standard library that is i think it's still a proposal right so dc39 delete. there was um there was a proposal right for standard library Oh, uh, what was it? Where was it? Uh, come on now, what is going on Google? Uh, proposal Yeah, built in modules. There we go. So I think this is uh, what stage is it actually? I remember seeing it like a couple of years ago, I think first time and I'm not even sure which stage is it? Is it even at some stage? No implementations reference standard library, blah, blah, blah. 12 months ago, last update, so I guess it's kind of in limbo for now, but maybe this will end up being, you know, more developed and we'll get like a standard library semantics and we will get some immutable, like some things to work with immutable records, essentially. Um... Let me see, RxJS is brilliant, but it can get addictive. Yes, when I first learned RxJS, I was trying to apply it everywhere. There was a big mistake. I mean, it, it, it does work. That's the thing, right? So the thing is, it's it's so flexible that you can literally apply it everywhere you want. The problem is, you don't really have to, and it just complicates things most of the time. Um, hey, Frontend Nexus, welcome to the stream. Um... Is this about making CoreJS the standard? No, it's not about making CoreJS the standard. The proposal essentially is um, about introducing the um, standard library namespace, I guess, in the modules. You can import something from standard library, whatever that is. And then the standard library then could be expanded to include, you know, like utility stuff from Lodash that is everyone using anyway, and, and things like this, basically which is, I think a really good idea, but for some reason it didn't go anywhere yet. But uh, yeah, we're, we're gonna see how that develops. It is very neat. I definitely approve of that and it will be cool to see something like this. And, you know, instead of having a third party modules that you have to pull in from NPM, just to have a nice STD lib that would provide you most of those tiny things, that will be really, really cool. But uh, we'll, we'll see how that develops because it's like, it's been, it's been around for a while. Uh, Isn't RxJS capability to write understandable code over being overkill in some situation? I mean, I don't, like RxJS doesn't really, like, here's the thing, right? You can write understandable code without RxJS as well. (laughs) So I don't think that's a benefit. RxJS works really well, again, as I said, when you have a lot of data over time and you have to process it somehow, right? So you build this pipeline from RxJS from Observable that will do something to data and then consume it in some way for any other use cases it's just going to be a pain in ass to work to debug you're going to have like i mean okay debugging got a bit easier after the, they did the rewrite so there's like a lot less nested functions now but still like if you don't need this reactivity if you don't need this you know data over time if it's just like once use promise if you do something i don't know um So the thing is, the point is, right? If you don't have data over time, most of the time you can go without RxJS and it's going to be a lot simpler and a lot easier to read. That's kind of my point. You get tempted to be clever. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh man, the the number of operators RxJS has is mind blowing and you can do some crazy things with those. But most of the time you really don't need this. (laughs) Um, Anyhow, let us continue. The next section is tips, tricks, and bit-sized awesomeness. We only have one thing here that I also didn't know, which is really neat. So um, if you know, if you ever tried CSS, you know that there's a box shadow uh, property that doesn't really work with transparent images, right? So if you apply it, it will actually uh, create this sort of box shadow around the image itself around the edges of the image, which will be square or, you know, rectangle or whatever the shape of your image is, but it doesn't actually account for transparency. Well, it turns out if you actually use filter drop shadow, it will actually drop shadow on the non-transparent parts of the image the way you expect, which is absolutely awesome. So if you are doing CSS and uh, you never heard about filter drop shadow, do check this out. Maybe this will make your designs a bit nicer. Right, uh, that's it for tips, tricks, and bit-size-dozenless. We are coming to the releases section. We got the whole five of them today. First one being Next.js 9.5. That brings us, uh, first of all, it brings Webpack 5 support beta, which you can optionally opt in and see how much it will improve your build size and build speed. So if you have a really big app that is supposed to deliver next level of performance and, uh, you know, the build size essentially uh imp- Decrease your build size is what I'm trying to say there is a bunch of additional things. I think the most um, Like the biggest thing here is stable incremental static regenerations That allows you to rebuild static pages after you've deployed in milliseconds Which is going to be very helpful for the cases where you have the content management system that is uh, Uses the next as a front end. So your uh, Changes in CMS will be reflected almost immediately which is kind of cool And there's a bunch of other uh, things here that are, you know, just like uh, less exciting, I guess, than everything else. But still, Next.js has an amazing framework, keeps remaining amazing framework. So if you never tried it, definitely do give it a shot. All right, next release we got here is Firefox version 79, that uh, rolls out the web render for users of other GPUs than NVIDIA before that. So you can actually now try it if you're on Intel or AMD, which means I think think that basically means it should work on any gpu ever out there right um yeah they've also rolled out the pocket recommendations if you want to disable them there's the steps the steps are just like why would you like come on mozilla like every time they do something good and then they just try to do the some ad crap in the firefox with notifications or whatever and people like why um yeah i wish they would just focus on doing the browser anyhow it seems like a nice update there's a bunch of fixes and some uh, developer tooling improvements uh, and uh, yeah Uh, there are so many frameworks libraries uh, and so on i'm so overwhelmed by them i just want to learn pure typescript and use it everywhere there is absolutely not like okay there is many frameworks there is many libraries but that's a good thing now you are overwhelmed by them because you are probably just started programming right so you are like a few years in you don't know what's going on here's the deal don't learn libraries don't learn frameworks i mean okay uh, that's that's a poor phrasing uh don't just learn a specific framework learn underlying paradigm that it has right so if you learn uh rxjs learn reactive programming right because this is essentially what it is once you learn reactive programming once you figure out how this approach works it wouldn't matter for you if you're using rx.js or if you're using any of the like 25 other analogs for it like uh, what was it there's like rx.js alternative there was the uh, what was it no this is definitely not rx.js alternatives Oh, it JS, kefir.js, for example. Yeah, and there's like a, a bunch of others basically that are built from scratch, but they work in exactly the same way because all of them follow the reactive programming pattern, right? Same goes for the any other library or framework. When you learn the library, also learn the foundations that it's built on. Like if you're learning React, learn functional programming, figure out why it's built and the way it is. And then when you pick up the next UI framework that follows the functional programming paradigm, it's going to be very easy for you. You know, if you're learning uh I don't know, Angular or Vue, learn MVC because then once you pick out any other framework that follows MVC, you're already going to know like 90% of it basically. So uh like using pure JavaScript, pure TypeScript is fine, but that would mean that you will have to reinvent all those libraries yourself, which is well just a waste of time. Like most of the time, right? There are legit cases when it's nice to build it yourself, but most of the time you want to save time and you want to actually use something that already was built for you. Last Firefox, you can see request on GET under the network console. Okay, cool, they finally added that. Uh, If you learn some React, you can probably learn others easier. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so just follow the model that they use and then go from there. Uh, Oh, you can't see request on GET. What, did they break something? (laughs) That's annoying. Uh, Cycle.js is pretty good. Cycle.js is a neat framework, but I found it to be like, the thing about the UI frameworks for me is always not just the framework itself, but also the ecosystem, right? I use React, first of all, because I like the functional programming approach that it takes, or functional-ish, I guess, because it's not like a completely functional. Uh, but second of all, because it has an amazing ecosystem that is so big that when I think, okay, I need a video player, I can just go and search for React Video Player, and I will have like fifty options to pick from, right? I don't have to build it myself. Unfortunately, with tiny frameworks like Cycle, that's usually not the case, right? Even even something like Swelt, which is you know it's relatively popular, but uh, yeah, they break Firefox stuff every release and need four or five release for fix. Uh, yeah, okay, I've seen, I've seen. <laughs> I've seen some of that stuff, yeah, in uh, like the, the the bugs that they typically introduce and then don't fix for some. Yeah, that's that's one of the annoying things about Firefox. And I think this was what actually prompted me to switch to back to Chrome because I tried the Firefox. I tried to use Firefox as my main driver after they released the rewrite on Rust uh, with the engine, what was it called? The one that they used now by default. Was it server or something? I don't remember, anyway. It was like a lot faster, a lot nicer and everything, but um, yeah, basically there was a few bugs that were dragging across three or four releases. And I was like, no, screw that. I'm just gonna go back to Chrome. And then Edge came out, which, you know, new Edge is a lot better than pretty much everything out there in my opinion. So I just uh, switched to that. It's okay to break stuff when you you have no users. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's okay to break stuff when you have users as well, just, you know, so long as you break it in staging or testing environments. (laughs) That's kind of the key to it. Or A-B testing with a very small fraction of your users. Like, I think I really like the way that uh, GitHub does this essentially. So when you go to GitHub, uh, I I think everyone has this now. So you you got this feature preview thing and you can basically opt in to test their new features here And yeah, they might break for you, but uh, it's kind of cool. So that is definitely the way to go. Anyhow, next release we got here is Ink version 3, which is available now and brings in a ton of improvements, more stability and performance, and some changes to the components. And uh, if you never heard about it, Ink is essentially a framework that allows you to build a command line tools. Uh, in React, which uh, looks absolutely awesome, and I really want to rewrite the um, ExoFrame command line using it. This is like one of the reasons why I started ExoFrame rewrite to TypeScript. So, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get to the point where we actually do a live stream on that, uh, but it looks really good. So, if you are writing command line tools, definitely do check this one out. All right. Continuing, we got Tailwind CSS version 1.6.0 that adds animation support with four default animations that I think cover 99% of the cases you might have uh, wanna have in the UI and then obviously optional animations that you can add yourself. So if you're using Tailwind, do check it out. If you are not using Tailwind, why the hell are you not doing that still? Absolutely check it out, learn. It's one of my favorite CSS frameworks and it's amazing. Right, last release of the week we got here is a Babel version 7.11.0 that adds ECMAScript 2021 support in preset env, also adds TypeScript 4.0 support and a bunch of other minor features. So um, ECMAScript 2021 support means that you now have logical assignments, numeric separators, and namespace re-exports added so you can actually use them if you want to, which is, uh, you know, most of those are really nice features. Again, logical assignment is something that I i don't think i've seen the case for that in past couple of years working on stuff but it's nice to have it i guess so if that sounds interesting do check it out and make sure to update your version all right that is it for releases now we are coming to the libs and demos we again we don't even have that many libraries this time around for some reason but um there we go first one we have is attain a deno api middleware server so this is essentially an express like thing for deno so if you're working with Deno, do check this one out. It looks pretty nice. Again, you know, very me- oh, sorry, not very, very Express-like. So you basically get more or less the same syntax, uh, slightly different constructor, but you know that's uh, kind of expected, I guess. The TypeScript and all things included. So if you are again using Deno and wanted to something to have something like Express, do check this one out. Next thing we got here is TinyKeys, a 400-byte modern library for key bindings. Basically, whatever, you know, what it says, it allows you to do key combos, key sequences, and stuff like this. If you are curious, if you're using that, do check it out. Uh, the feature-wise, is not as rich as other analogs out there, but it is super tiny. So, uh, you know, if you are looking for something like this, do check this one out. And next thing we've got here is Macintosh JS, a virtual Apple Macintosh with System 8 running in Electron. Yep. Somebody took and compiled macOS version 8 uh, using WebAssembly and then just packaged it into Electron app so you can uh, download and, and run it locally for whatever reason. Like, I don't I don't know why would you need that, but uh, it's a nice learning project, I guess. So, you know, you can... Uh, like, on the other hand, you know, this kind of blows, blows my mind that WebAssembly is powerful enough to be able to compile macOS, like the whole freaking system, down to... Essentially running in a browser. Um, I'm assuming there's some additional stuff like you know file system and everything bindings to the node, but uh, yeah, it's a really impressive project, even though it is scary as hell. <laughs> right, next thing we got here is moment-guess, a utility package for guessing date formats. So this is essentially a tiny utility that allows you to uh, throw any string at it, and it will try to guess the format for the given string, the date format for the given string. If the format is ambiguous, it will display all of the possible formats based on the moment JS. So it's pretty heavy, but you know, if you're working with dates a lot and need to guess them, do check moment guess out. Next thing we got here is use image color hook, a hook to grab color pattern from images, render a skeleton color while your original image is still loading. So It's a react hook that does exactly what it says. Basically it gets the image calculates the average color and uses this color as the placeholder while your image is loading. Not exactly sure how it works under the hood, I haven't had time to check, but you know, if you are in building an app that has a lot of images and want to have a nice placeholders, then use image color is pretty nice, so do check this one out. Next thing we got here is Merlin, a testing and benchmarking framework for Deno, so this is a just inspired testing framework for Deno. Which you know look a lot like Jest uh, with some um, differences, obviously, because Deno uh, looks pretty nice. So if you're working with Deno again, do check this one out. Seems to be a pretty cool framework. Um, again, you know Deno does come with testing tools out of the box, so you might not need it. But if you wanted something like Jest, do check it out. This looks pretty good. So that was Merlin, and uh, yeah, check it out if that sounds interesting right so the last thing we got here for today in libs and demos is open rpc so a bunch of people essentially gathered and decided to build um open rpc spec that should define a standard programming language agnostic interface description for json rpc 2.0 so the idea here is to provide the same experience you currently get from graphql which is you know the typings the schema all this kind of stuff but from json rpc which i personally really like the idea so i would want to see this implemented as a libraries because the libraries that we get from graphql is actually what makes it killer uh fe- no, i mean it's not feature right killer how would you put it killer no it's not feature. god damn it how do you call it graphql is a killer technology i guess to use right so Maybe if if OpenRPC gets far enough, uh, we would get the same tooling for JSON RPC in well a bunch of languages, which would be quite nice. So I can definitely see some cases when um, JSON RPC would be better than using GraphQL. Uh, so if you are curious, do check it out. There is like a spec and everything here. Uh, I believe there is no packages yet, which you know, uh, kind of the most important bit for me at least. But uh, it is a really nice initiative basically, so uh, I'm gonna keep an eye on that. Right, that is actually it for libs and demos. The last thing we got here is an interesting stuff and it's an announcement for GitHub. GitHub now has public roadmap. So yes, they are actually now have um, GitHub repo that is GitHub slash roadmap that includes the full on GitHub public roadmap that they plan to develop by quarters And uh, yeah, there's a ton of staff here. So if you're curious to see how the GitHub will develop over time, you wanted to voice your feedback on the features, upcoming features, the ideas they have, this is now the place to do, just go here and uh, comment and discuss. And I mean, just, you know, lurk around and see what they want to do. Basically, it is really, really cool. That's really nice to see it doing something like this, basically. Right, that is actually it from my side. So um, if you have any questions or suggestions or links, feel free to throw them right now into the chat. Meanwhile, you can uh, find all the links that I've mentioned on GitHub or bxjs.dev as usual. You can join our Discord server to chat about any of that or video games if you want to. You can follow me on Twitter for JavaScript stuff and some uh, random rants. Uh, You can follow the Telegram channel if you want to see all the links I gather over the week unfiltered. Uh, Some of them don't really make it into this podcast. And uh, you can also listen to the podcast on um, Anchor in audio form if you want to. uh, Or you can also watch it on YouTube or Twitch as a VOD immediately if you missed any of that. Did it work? Uh, What do you mean, did it work? What work? Aaron, you have to clarify, I'm not sure. (laughs) Good book on TS here. Uh, thanks for doing what you do, Tim. Uh, thanks for watching, Tal. You know, I wouldn't be doing this without you guys watching. So this is you. You guys keep me going. It swallowed the link again. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> um, please share the links in Discord. I will have a look there. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really annoying that YouTube just kills the links. And ugh, uh, I don't see any links, at least in this chat. So... Look up, is this up enough? We're up, what, what's going on? <laughs> okay, programming language, okay, yeah, there we go. This uh, GitHub programming languages bundle. Oh yeah, I, s- I think I've seen the email for that. Scala, Go, Perl, oh really, that's nice, okay, okay. SQL, PHP, R, Kotlin, Kotlin's a very nice language, by the way, C-sharp, Rust, programming typescript, Okay, that's a really nice bundle and just 13 euros. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, And there is. So if you are interested in programming books uh, for very cheap, do check out humblebundle.com. They have a pretty nice sale right now for the next, how long is it? For next 16 days. So there you go. Uh, Learning to cartoon, learning to cartoonize using white box cartoon representation, computer vision and pattern recognition. That sounds terrifying. Uh, paper. Oh, it's a research paper. And oh wait 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 wait, wait, wait. Yes, paper. There is a demo video and there's a source code. Cool. So, uh, where is so there's the uh, okay there's uh, some Chinese website with a lot of stuff. Okay. Yes. Yes. What is going on? So there's like nine minute video. Um, Tokyo. Yes. So what is it? Did I open the right video? What is going on? Oh, oh, that like a, oh, I see. Okay. So there's a filter on a video that tries to turn it into cartoon. Uh, I mean, it looks okay-ish. So it's like still not as good as, as hand-drawn stuff, obviously, but it's an interesting direction. Yeah. I and mean, that looks pretty like you can still see that it's a video maybe because of the fluidity of the motion or something. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious makes real photos and videos looks anime. I mean, it's it's far from being anime, but it is an interesting effect. I'm guessing, so like, this is, yeah, this is a very... Again, this is a research paper, so, you know, I wouldn't expect any super fancy results from it, but I would be interested to see how the studios will start using that, you know, because they obviously will have a lot more resources to spend on this and uh i'm you know like the all the hype in anime right now is using the 3d model stuff and then either drawing over it or just using the very heavily stylized 3d to augment the 2d drawings maybe this is what's going to replace the 3d and that's what that would be very interesting to see what what this could look like on the you know like production grade hardware and a really well trained model because this obviously is like it looks fine for a research paper but in the real-world animation that wouldn't look uh, in good enough, basically, right? This is f- this is fascinating. Rotoscoping can look a bit ugly. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, rotoscoping always looks really weird. I guess it's because it's, you know, sort of in, in this uncanny valley area. But this is fascinating. Like, I would really be interested to see what the, um, as I said, you know, the real studio that does the animation can do with a tech like this. And on a, you know, beef-expensive... Hardware with a lot of time to train the, the model actually. Because you can, if you're a studio, right, you can take your old works, you can train the model on them, and then basically the model can transfer the style to your style, your specific style from the studio. That would be very curious to see. Yeah, that's a pretty neat paper. Yeah, okay. I, I probably, you know what, I'm gonna uh, do this and I'm gonna read the paper later uh there is a new release of u3 rc5 okay i mean you know i think there's just by basically going to be like bug fixes yeah it's just bug fixes essentially so i'm gonna wait until they release the stable version which really again i'm gonna happen in a week or two maybe this week if we're lucky or i mean next week uh but yeah then we're gonna see how that goes all right any more questions or suggestions or things you want to ask if not i guess we can just wrap it up here it was a uh, relatively short-ish. Um, other than that, yeah, I guess uh, we're basically, you're basically done here. Okay, I'll give you a couple of seconds to figure out if you have anything else to say. Other than that, let me see, did I forget any links? I didn't really forget anything, right? Yep, I mentioned everything else. All right, doesn't seem like we have any more questions or suggestions or links to share. So thank you guys very much for watching as usual. Thank you for your continued support. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, have an awesome rest of the weekend or, or rest of the week if you're watching the VOD of this. And I see you on Wednesday for the development stream.